You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is Jeff Lucas on the um, the Surveyor's Hour here on America's Web Radio. Um, hope everyone is doing fine. This morning, we'll spend the next uh, hour talking about land surveying and land surveyors. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to Jeff at americaswebradio.com. You can find out more about me and at my personal website, www.lucasandcompany.com. Check us out. Uh, check out our resources and uh, leave us a comment. All right. Uh, well, uh, glad to be with you this morning. Uh, I do not have a guest this morning, but that's okay. We're going to pick up on um, some other things that we've been talking about when we didn't have a guest. We've been through uh, quite a few things. Uh, we've been through why we need to um, why we need to know the law that governs our practice. Talking to surveyors uh, in particular, um, we've talked about um, evidence and uh, the rules of evidence. Talked a little bit about expert witness testimony. We've uh, discussed the boundary location doctrines. We've uh, also known as the appropriate boundary law principles. If you're familiar at all with the 2011 and 2016 uh, ALTA um, ALTA survey uh, requirements. Um, that is a requirement of the ALTA surveys to apply the appropriate boundary law principles. So we've talked about them. We've talked a little bit about deed interpretation. Um, and this uh, this morning, what I decided to do was, uh, since we didn't have a guest, is we're gonna we're gonna look at a case that involves all of these things. This is a case I used to um, do regularly uh, when uh, I would I would give uh, seminars. Uh, on boundary issues, uh, it's called uh, Lawson versus Weinmiller and Associates. It's out of Ohio, the Ohio Court of uh, of Appeals, Second District, Montgomery. Uh, excellent case. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff that we can uh, that we can glean from this case relative to all of these issues we've already talked about. Deed interpretation expert witness testimony, uh, what it takes to, uh, to win uh, a case in court. And uh, so one of the, the, I guess the initial question to ask is, why read court cases? Why read court cases? Um, well, uh, the simple answer to that is because that's where the law is relative to boundaries, relative to all of these issues we're talking about, deed interpretation. The rules of construction, how to read a deed, uh, and, and um, um, which the, the surveyor uh, in particular should should be very uh, well versed in how to read a, a the deed, how to read the legal description in the deed, and those rules of construction, as they're referred to, uh, are court-made rules. Uh, we wouldn't know about them unless we uh, read, unless we dug into the cases. Uh, to see how the courts interpret deeds, how the courts interpret written documents. The rules of construction are simply that. They are rules for construing written documents, um, and um, in particular, deeds, contracts, legislation, the United States Constitution. The, uh, the courts have created these rules 
uh, over hundreds of years, if not approaching a thousand now, including uh, uh, English common law, which we here in the United States uh, adopted. Uh, to uh, most of our states adopted when they became states. The United States adopted the English common law when it became an independent country, as it would later be uh, modified by our own constitution, uh, legislation, and our own court decisions. So uh, by and large, uh, the English common law is the basis of uh, the laws here in the United States of America. So um, the other reason we we want to uh, read cases is because the the bound uh, boundary loca- the boundary location principles the boundary location doctrines uh, that are applicable are generally found in the court cases as well. They they are not by and large um, statutorily driven. Uh, these are court decisions, and the only way to know what the courts are saying is to read the decisions. And when we're talking about a decision or uh, loosely a case, uh, we're generally talking about an appellate court uh, decision, an appellate court opinion. Uh, that's uh, primarily where court cases get uh, get published. They get published at the uh, appellate court uh, level. Uh, they get uh, put into the court reporters. Uh, the court reporter on this one is... Um, well, this was an this was an early printing of it. I got it from Lexis, so there is uh, no court reporter, official court reporter on this case. But it's uh, Lawson versus uh, Thomas Wine Miller and Associates, uh, and we're going to go through this case. Uh, also, the reason why we read these cases is because the cases, uh, these opinions, these appellate court opinions, will tell us what the law is. They'll tell us what the law is, and in law school we called that the black letter law. They'll tell us what the black letter law is based on a set of facts and circumstances that the opinion describes. So we're always on the lookout, I am in particular, and and uh, studying um, about surveying and, and boundary law, always on the lookout for an interesting case with an interesting fact scenario with interesting circumstances, and uh, they tell us in the opinion when they write up a good one, like this is a good one, um, when they write up a good one, when they, the appellate courts, write up a good opinion uh, with a good set of facts and circumstances, um, then then based on those facts and circumstances, which the facts, as we know, are determined at the trial court level, once it goes up on appeal, they're not arguing the facts anymore. So there's some interesting things we need to know about that process, the trial court process, and then taking a case uh, up on appeal. But generally speaking, the credibility of the witnesses and the facts will be determined at the trial court level. So up on appeal, all our appellate court is doing basically is uh, is uh, reciting what the facts, as they were determined at, at the trial court level, are in the case, and then rubbing the law up against those uh, up against those facts. So that's why we read these cases. We get a, a fact, circumstance, facts, and circumstances uh, involved in the case, and then they tell us what the law is. Uh, when what, there will be questions, what is what does the law say about these things? And so they answer our questions for us. 
so that's why we read these cases. Um, and as I've said on, on many occasions, the retracing surveyor, we've talked uh, already about the difference between an original surveyor and retracing surveyor, but the retracing surveyor has more in common with uh, the legal profession, with lawyers, with investigators, uh, than uh, the retracing surveyor has in common with civil en- uh, civil engineers. Uh, or civil engineering. Uh, a retracement survey is not an engineering project. It is an evidentiary exercise. And so we're going to get all of that in this case. So, uh, without further ado, we'll just kind of, uh, we'll just kind of dig in here. And, uh, I'm going to read from the case so that you can get, uh, you can get the facts as they've been laid out by the court. And then we'll see what the law has to say about it. So, we have uh, this this opinion actually tangentially, I guess, or includes uh, some discussion about a boundary dispute case. But um, so that we're clear, uh, this okay, this opinion that we're reading, Lawson versus Weinmiller, uh, Betty J. Lawson is a landowner. And she lost a boundary dispute case with her neighbor, Gedright. And then because she lost the boundary dispute case, she turned around and sued her surveyor, Weinmiller, Thomas Weinmiller and Weinmiller and Associates, sued Weinmiller for negligence. Now, that's that's important, too. Uh, the only charge against Weinmiller by Lawson was negligence. Keep that in mind. Now, to, to visualize the setup here, the Lawsons, her her husband George, who by the time of this case, by the time of this case had had passed away, her husband George, Betty, and her husband George owned. Uh, they, they don't tell us much about their property in, 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 by way of description, but apparently they had some acreage, maybe two or three acres, at least two or three acres, I would imagine, um, because they ended up subdividing. Uh, the property and sold a portion of the property to uh, Vartman and Franz. And that's why Weinmiller got initially called out was to survey their property uh, and cut their property up so that they could sell a piece of property um, and, uh, for whatever purposes. Uh, I imagine to, uh, to uh, you know, stuff into the, uh, um, um, into the nest egg. Uh, for retirement, but they don't tell us exactly why. But this is what people do: they buy property, they sometimes they subdivide property in order to make some money. So the Lawsons own a piece of acreage. Don't know how much. It was enough to subdivide, and uh, their neighbor Gedright uh, lived on, to the south of them. They had a common boundary line. The south line of the Lawsons' property was the north line of the Gedright property. All right, so that's the setup. We got uh, uh, George uh, Lawson is looking to subdivide their property, uh, sell a portion of the uh, of the southern portion of their property off, uh, make some money, put some money in the bank, and he hires Weinmiller. So in June of 1985, Betty J. Lawson's now deceased husband George hired Thomas Weinmiller and Associates just Juan Miller and Associates, to perform a survey of land that the Lawsons owned. Pursuant to an oral agreement with Mr. Lawson, Thomas Juan Miller and his son, David Juan Miller, both Ohio licensed surveyors, 
conducted a survey and prepared a legal description of the land. Well, there's your first problem right there. We're working under an oral agreement. And you'll see where this comes into play a little bit later, because after George passes away, uh, you're going to see that um, there's, there's, no, there's no paper trail here. Uh, Betty uh, Lawson, his wife, doesn't know about Weinmiller until the boundary dispute case is over with. So, again, there's going to be a case we're going to talk about here, a boundary dispute between Lawson and Gedright, and uh, Betty is going to lose that case, and uh, then she turns around and sues her surveyor, Weinmiller, in a separate case. So in September of 1985, in accordance with the legal description prepared by Weinmiller, the Lawsons erected a fence marking the boundary line between their property line and that of their neighbors to the south, the Gedright. So they had not had a fence on this line previously, so after the Weinmiller survey, the Lawsons erected a fence on the common boundary with Gedright. In October of 1985, the Lawsons sold the southern portion of their land by warranty deed to Susan Bartman and Nancy Franz in accordance with a legal description prepared by Weinmiller. So Weinmiller surveyed... And this is, is the general uh, order of uh, order of business. Somebody wants to subdivide their property. Uh, you call up the surveyor. They survey your property and then uh, create a subdivision if that's what you're looking to do. And that's exactly what happened here. Juan Miller prepared a legal description of the southern portion of a of a portion of the southern um, part of the Lawson's property, and they sold that to Vartman and Friends. Bartman and friends uh, uh, moved onto the property and uh, uh, presumably made improvements and, and started living the American dream. The parcel sold to Bartman and friends included the common property line with the Gedrights and the newly erected fence. Sometime after the Lawson sold the southern parcel of their land to the Gedrights, uh, uh, of their land, the Gedrights brought a civil suit uh, in trespass. And uh, we're going to pick up uh, right after the break, uh, right there. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, welcome back, folks. This is the Surveyor's Hour. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. All right, we're talking about the case of uh, Lawson versus Weinmiller. 
And uh, Juan Miller came out in 1985, surveyed the Lawson's property, subdivided the Lawson's property. In 1985, the Lawson's uh, put a fence on the south boundary of their property uh, as determined by Juan Miller, and they sold that southern portion to Vartman and Franz. And then sometime later, sometime after they sold this southern portion to um, Vartman and Friends, the Gedbrights uh, brought a civil suit and trespass against Vartman and Friends, disputing the placement of the fence and the boundary line between the properties. So now this is our boundary dispute case. Okay, so Gedbright. Now they didn't tell us right here, but we're going to find out later. This is about eight years later. This is about eight years. So this is somewhere in nineteen early in the nineteen nineties, nineteen ninety three, ninety four. We'll find that out a little bit later. Eight years later. Eight years after that fence is built, uh, Gedright brings a lawsuit, sues Vartman and Friends. Now, notice he doesn't sue. Now, by, by now, George has passed away, so this is Betty Lawson, okay? And as we're going through this case, keep your eye on Betty Lawson. Some, you know, tell me what she does wrong here, okay? Uh, so, um, <clears throat> they, Gedright doesn't sue uh, uh, the widow Lawson, okay? He sues Bartman and Friends, but here's what Bartman and Friends did. They turned around, they joined uh, Betty in the suit as a third-party defendant. Uh, some t- yeah, so Bartman and Friends uh, disputing the placement of the fence and uh, building and the boundary line determined by the parties. Bartman and Friends joined uh, the Lawsons in the lawsuit as third-party defendants. The jury determined that the Gedrights deed. This is the boundary dispute case. Okay, this is not the. This is they're just mentioning this in this opinion. The jury determined in the boundary dispute case that the Gedrights deed set forth the correct boundary line between the Gedrights and the Vartman Friends property. Accordingly, the jury also determined that the Vartman Friends deed incorrectly included 15 feet of the Gedrights property in their deed, and that the fence built along the property line encroached upon the property of the Gedrights. So as we're going to find out here, the Lawson deed and the Gedright deed have a 15-foot overlap. So we're talking about a boundary overlap here. Um, you know, at the at the basic core issue, we got a boundary overlap between the Lawson's property and the Gedright's property. Juan Miller surveyed the Lawson's property, made a determination of where he thought the south boundary was. They sold the southern portion to Vartman and Friends, and that they determined at the boundary dispute case was 15 feet south of the true line. Uh, because it was also established that the Gedrights and the Lawsons disagreed about the boundary before the fence was erected and that this dispute was not disclosed to Vartman and friends before they purchased the property, damages were only assessed against Lawson. All right. So apparently, going back prior to 1985, before Miller showed up on the scene, Lawson and Gedright had a little boundary dispute going on. Um, they they somehow knew they they both knew George and uh, Mr. Gedright knew that the their legal descriptions overlap. This is not uncommon. Um, who knows how they did it? Uh, but uh, it, a reasonable explanation is. Uh, Lawson read his deed one day and this, and and stepped off the frontage or measured uh, how much uh, how much frontage he's supposed to have, and uh, 
determine where a boundary line was, uh, where his boundary line was, and then Gedright disputed that. So they had this ongoing dispute over the boundary line until 1985 when Weinmiller showed up, and Weinmiller made a determination. Uh, Lawson built his fence. And then Gedright waits eight years before he brings a lawsuit, and he sues Vartman in France. Now, <clears throat> Betty wasn't initially in the suit, but she gets brought in by Vartman and France, and because of the boundary dispute that she did not, or her and her husband George did not uh, disclose to Vartman and France before they fought, all of the charges in the case were were assessed against Lawson. They lost the boundaries. They lost the boundary decision. Vartman and France lost the boundary decision. In a, in essence, Lawson, Betty Lawson, lost the boundary decision. Gedright wins. Uh, now, uh, so what are the costs? What are the consequences? They don't really tell us. But uh, if all the charges uh, are against, uh, if all the charges are against um, uh, Betty, then what's happening here is uh, she's going to have to make Bartman and Friends whole, uh, whatever that's going to uh, entail. Uh, certainly, they're going to be out 15 feet, so she's going to have to give them another 15 feet of property. They're going to have to move the fence. We don't know what the damages are. Uh, because um, they don't tell us what the damages are. But whatever they are, uh, Betty Lawson is going to be out. Um, Betty Lawson is going to be out of that cost. All right, having a little technical difficulty here. Uh, after the conclusion of the first suit involving her property, Lawson uh, brought the present action against Weinmiller. So she lost the boundary dispute. Now, she didn't bring Weinmiller into the boundary dispute. We're going to hear about her surveyors here in just a little bit. She didn't bring in Weinmiller. I don't think she knew about Weinmiller at the time of the boundary dispute, uh, eight years after the Weinmiller survey, eight, seven, eight, nine years after the Weinmiller survey. And why didn't she know about him, uh, Weinmiller and Associates? Because George had handled the, uh, had handled the, the contract, the oral contract with Weinmiller, <clears throat> and um, when the boundary dispute came up, she she didn't know who to call, so she ends up calling a, uh, a, a surveyor out of the phone book, apparently. Doesn't know about Miller until, of course, the boundary dispute, and they go to trial, and the two surveyors, the surveyor hired by Gedright and the surveyor, uh, surveyor that uh, Betty Lawson ended up hiring for the boundary dispute, we're talking about the Weinmiller survey. So she finds out about Weinmiller. She loses the bounded dispute case. She turns around and sues Weinmiller for negligence. And that's important, too. Only negligence. The contentions underlying the professional negligence suit are that Weinmiller negligently conducted a survey of the Lawson's property and erroneously plotted the boundaries of um, the Lawson's land. The Lawson's relied solely a Weinmiller survey, his boundary pins, and legal description of the property when deciding where to erect the fence and when deeding, deeding the southern parcel of their land to Vartman and Friends. And as a result of relying on the survey conducted by Weinmiller, the Lawsons suffered economic and emotional harm. Yeah, they did. They lost the boundary dispute. And all of the charges in the case, Gedright's charges, Vartman and Friends' charges, all the charges in the case, whatever they amounted to, uh, Betty had to pay out. So, you know, that nice little nest egg that her and George were building up is, is rapidly getting depleted. Now she's in a second lawsuit suing Weinmiller for negligence. 
she's footing the bill on this one as well. And this one, she, you're going to hear she's going to lose, and then she she appeals the negligence case. And that's the opinion we're reading right now. We're reading the opinion on the negligence case that she is now in. So in January of 1994, the professional negligence action was heard by a jury in Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas, and the jury rendered a verdict in favor of Thomas Wine Miller and Wine Miller and Associates. So um, uh, the, uh, they went to court in 1994. Uh, the, the action uh, started before then, of course, and they had to get surveys. And um, um, so, she, uh, she, so in 1994, she gets her... Um, she, she, the professional negligence action is heard, and then she filed a motion for judgment notwithstanding the verdict or in the alternative for a new trial, which was subsequently overruled by the trial judge. And this appeal followed. Uh, from the judgment against her, Lawson appeals. She has to assign error to the trial court. So these are her two assignments of error. The verdict in the ju- uh, of the jury in finding for the defendant cannot be supported by any rational view of the evidence, was not based upon the evidence presented at trial, was inconsistent with any theory provable under the issues, and was unsupported by or was against the manifest weight of the evidence. That's the first error she charges against the trial, uh, the trial judge who ruled in uh, uh, the trial court, which ruled in favor of Weinmiller. The trial court erred, abused its discretion, and acted contrary to the law by denying plaintiff's motion for a judgment notwithstanding the verdict uh, or for a new trial where the verdict in favor of the defendant could not have been based upon the evidence presented at trial, was against any rational view of the evidence, and was inconsistent with the theory of negligence. Both of these assignments of error essentially raise the question whether the jury verdict was against the manifest weight of the evidence. In Ohio, as in many other states, a surveyor is liable for professional negligence if it is established that the surveyor failed to perform his work according to the standards of the surveying community and thereby proximally caused damages. This is the part of the black letter law we talked about. A claim of surveyor liability is founded on three elements common to any tort. A breach of duty causation and damages. Now, there's a distinction right there uh, that they're making in Ohio on professional negligence. Negligence, just regular negligence, man walking down the street negligence, not professional negligence, also requires that um, that you you must prove that the tort feeser um, owed you a duty, okay? And then breach that. There's usually four elements to most torts. Uh, and and walking, uh, man walking down the street negligence is that man owed you a duty, the plaintiff, owed a duty, breached the duty, causation and damages. Notice here, uh, and this isn't universal, but here in uh, Ohio, the duty's already owing, according to the court, because they only named three elements. Breach of duty causation and damages what is the duty now they got to they got to prove all three in most tort cases uh, uh, negligent tort cases you got to prove all four you got to prove all three this is very important if you don't prove all three or in any negligence case prove all four that the uh, tort fees are owed you a duty 
fell below the standard of care, breach of the duty has fallen below the standard of care in a professional negligence action, causation because the professional fell below the standard of care, then damages. All four. That's important. If you don't prove all four, you don't get your negligence. And how are we going to prove the breach of a duty in a professional negligence action? That's where we have to bring in experts to to demonstrate or to testify that Juan Miller and uh, Juan Miller and Associates fell below the duty of care owed to uh, the plaintiff uh, Betty J. Lawson. Okay, we're going to take a break. Be back in a moment. Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back friendly stake. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show? Talk about your business or express your opinion on America's Web Radio. Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Okay, welcome back to the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm Jeff Lucas, your host, and we have been discussing the case, uh, the negligence case of um, Betty J. Lawson versus Thomas Wine Miller and Associates. All right, so uh, the, we, had, we talked about the standard of care. We talked about um, uh, the, the, uh, the duty, breach of duty, causation of damages. Those are the three elements that uh, uh, Ms. Lawson is going to have to prove in order to prove negligence. Again, the only charge against Thomas Wine Miller and Thomas Wine Miller and Associates is negligence. They have to prove all three, not just one, not just two, all three. If not, Juan Miller walks. We note that a mere difference of professional opinion does not establish professional negligence. You can be wrong and not be negligent is what the court is saying. Moreover, professional negligence is not established by proving that a professional opinion turned out to be erroneous. No. Rather, to recover for professional negligence based on an incorrect professional opinion, one must establish that the professional fell below the standard of skill and knowledge commonly possessed and utilized by members within the profession when rendering his opinion. In other words, fell below the standard of care. You can be wrong and not be negligent. You can be wrong and not be negligent. And what are the damages for negligence? The damages for negligence in this case would be uh, to make uh, Betty Lawson whole. That would go back to the boundary dispute case uh, and the damages she had to pay due to Juan Miller's negligence, if they can prove it. it apparently, they have trouble with that because she's appealing the decision. 
in the case before us, Lawson asserts that the uncontroverted evidence established that Thomas Weinmiller and Associates were professionally negligent. Uh, Thomas Weinmiller and Weinmiller and Associates, we'll just say Weinmiller, uh, were professionally negligent. She asserts that the uncontroverted evidence at trial established that Lawson's deed involved significant problems of overlap and closure. All right, there was a 15-foot overlap. We just That was the boundary dispute case. Surveyors should not comp- uh, complete a survey of property involving problems of both overlap and closure. All right, then who? A surveyor should not attempt to correct a 15-foot closure problem. Well, we could have a long discussion about that one. Number four, Thomas Weinmiller was negligent in his individual and corporate capacity for not discovering the overlap problem when surveying the loss in D. Number five, Thomas Weinmiller was negligent in his individual and corporate capacity for attempting to correct the 15-foot closure problem. And six, Juan Miller was negligent in his individual and corporate capacity for completing the survey of Lawson's property and for providing a legal description of the property. Accordingly, Lawson asserts that based on the uncontroverted evidence presented at trial, the verdict in favor of Thomas of the Juan Millers is against the manifest weight of the evidence. If Who's going to correct the 15-foot closure problem if not the surveyor? Lawson's assertion that the evidence established at trial establishing Juan Miller's professional negligence was uncontroversial in space entirely upon her contention that the evidence offered by Juan Miller at trial, quote, remember this quote, could not have been taken seriously by a reasonable jury, end quote, because the testimony was, again, quote, remember this quote, contradictory, self-serving, vague, unresponsive, and argumentative. However... The court says, we are not persuaded by this argument. It is axiomatic that the credibility of a witness and the weight uh, to be given to a witness's testimony are issues within the province of the jury. This was a jury trial. Credibility, it's all about credibility. When When you're testifying in court as an expert or a party, it's about credibility. If you don't have credibility or you lose credibility or your credibility is in doubt, uh, things aren't going to go well for you. This principle applies even when one party classifies the witness's testimony as self-serving, contradictory, vague, and argumentative. These are factors to be determined by the jury when making its determination of overall credibility of the witnesses. In considering whether a judgment at trial court is against the manifest way to the evidence, the appellate court is guided by the presumption of the fi- that the findings of the trier of facts are correct. There's a presumption you lose at the trial court level. There will be facts that will have been determined. The jury is called the uh, trier of the facts. Uh, and if it's a judge sitting without a jury, the judge is the trier of the facts. Those facts are determined at the trial court level. They they are not overturned. They are not re-argued up on appeal, okay? Uh, especially if there was testimony in open court. Um, there are exceptions to this, but by and large, uh, when the trial court makes a factual determination, either the judge or the jury makes a factual determination, there is a presumption. We've talked about presumptions and inferences before. A presumption is a legal fact until proven wrong. Pretty strong. Okay, an inference is a uh, is a mental process whereby. Uh, you can come to a reasonable conclusion. But a, a presumption, there are rebuttable presumptions and there are 
irrebuttable presumptions. An irrebuttable presumption, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Irrebuttable, although someone would probably argue that it rises in the west and sets in the east, uh, especially in this day and age we live in. Uh, but um, there are rebuttable presumptions. So this is a rebuttable presumption, but the presumption going in is that the facts were determined at the trial court level. This is why I always say if you're in, if you're in, tri- in a trial, if you're um, um, a boundary dispute, whatever it is, negligence case, you're, you are uh, in court over an issue, you're either plaintiff or defendant, you want to win, you need to win at the trial court level because you have an uphill battle. You have an uphill battle going up uh, on uh, appeal because the presumption will be the facts were, uh, the, the facts were determined uh, or as determined at the trial court level are, are the facts. The presumption is they are the facts. And then the judgment there's a the lower uh, evidence uh, scale for the judgment. All the judgment needs is substantial evidence to support the uh, judgment. At the trial court level, it's you got to win by a preponderance of the evidence. In order to uh, uphold the trial court decision, you only need substantial evidence. That's somewhere between no evidence at all and um, and a preponderance of the evidence. You only need substantial evidence supporting the trial court decision. All right. Um, as long as the here it is right here. As long as the judgment is supported by some competent, credible evidence going to all the essential elements of the case, the judgment will not be reversed by a reviewing court as being against the manifest weight of the evidence. Some evidence, also uh, referred to as uh, substantial. Not uh, clear and convincing, not a preponderance, not beyond all reasonable doubt, some competent, credible evidence. Based on a review of the record, we note that the expert testimony presented by both the parties at the trial is squarely in dispute on two key questions. Namely, whether the Lawson's deed contained an overlap problem, and number two, whether a surveyor should attempt to rectify a 15-foot closure discrepancy in a deed. We will address the evidence presented on each of these subjects in turn. Existence of an overlap. Lawson offered the expert testimony of William uh, Petskowitz, the surveyor hired by the Gedrights in 1985. Okay, hold it, stop. Lawson offered the expert testimony of William Petskowitz, the surveyor uh, Petskowitz, the surveyor hired by the Gedrights in 1985. 1985. We're now going back to the original boundary dispute case. Wine Miller came out there in 1985. Wine Miller surveyed the Lawson's property in 1985. Wine Miller made a determination of the boundary line in 1985. Gedright hired Petskowitz in 1985 after Juan Miller came out there to get a second opinion, apparently, and then waited eight years before doing anything doing anything about it. What happened here? And Wayne Cos we'll get back to that. And Wayne Cosler, a surveyor hired by Lawson in nineteen ninety three, when the boundary dispute case came up. Eight years later, 
Why did she hire Wayne Cosser instead of Weinmuller? Because eight years later, with her husband, uh, after her husband died, she doesn't know who Weinmuller is. I have gotten this call more uh, more times than I can remember. You get the phone call, Mr. Lucas. This is uh, this is Betty J. Lawson. Um, I need you to come out and survey one line for me, please. One line. That's the worst. Okay. When you get that call, uh, uh, run. Okay. You don't go out and survey one line because there's a problem. If they need one line surveyed, there is a problem. Okay, Mrs. Uh, Ms. Lawson, um, uh, you know, maybe we can do that. Have you ever had your property surveyed? Well, yes, I had. My husband had the property surveyed eight years ago. Do you have a copy of that survey? No, I don't. I don't know where it is. I'm sure it's with our important papers, but I don't know where it is. Do you know who surveyed the property? No, my husband handled that. That's exactly how this went. She went to the phone book. Um, if y'all know what that is, it's a book that has uh, numbers and it. it used to have yellow pages in it, and you it, you opened it up and it was alphabetical. You'd go to the yellow pages and uh, you'd try to find surveyors or land surveyors, and then you would look under the uh, the little uh, the little ads or the listings there. And uh, she got down to the C's. She's looking for somebody relatively close to her. They had their names and addresses and phone numbers. She ends up calling. I don't know. I'm reading between the lines here. All right. She ends up calling Wayne Cosler. She got down to the C's and saw Wayne Cosler's name <clears throat> and, and, and found out that and looked at the address and said, well, that's relatively close. So I'll get this guy. She hired him in 1993. She came out and surveyed the property line. Uh, and because she lost the boundary dispute case in 1993, as you're going to hear, uh, she turned around uh, here in this negligence case, and she hired Petskowitz and Koster because she lost the 15 feet in 1993. She turned around in the negligence case and hired as her experts Petskowitz, who was Gedright's surveyor, and Cosner, who was her surveyor in the boundary dispute case. Certainly, they're going to get in. They're going to come into court and and pin negligence on Juan Miller. Correct. Both Cosner and Petskowitz testified that each of their surveys of the Lawson Gedright property, back to the boundary dispute, not the negligence case. Remember, she she hires them as experts in the negligence case. Now they're talking about the 1993 boundary dispute case. Both Cosner and Petskowitz testified that each of their surveys of the Lawson Gedright property, which were conducted according to the standards of the profession, uncovered problems of closure and overlap. Petskowitz testified that he identified an overlap problem after he located the boundary markers that the Weinmillers had failed to locate in 1985. After Weinmiller finished his survey and made his determination of the line between Gedright and Lawson, Petskowitz was right after after that, right after that, surveyed the Gedright property. 
He was right after the one because he said Juan Miller's failed to locate these properties. Kosler, uh, these corners. Kosler testified that he identified the overlap problem after he plotted the adjacent deeds. Although neither expert specifically opined that Thomas Weinmiller was negligent for not discovering the overlap problem, they both indicated that a proper conduct of, uh, conducted survey would have uncovered the problem. The case is actually over at this point in time. The negligence case. It's actually over right now. They didn't say he was negligent. They did not say he fell below the standard of care. What do we what do we have to prove? What do we have to prove? We have to prove we have to pr- prove um, three elements. A breach of duty fell below the standard of care. Causation and damages. There was causation, there was damages. But right here, we're going to take a break, folks, and be back right after this. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, folks. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. Uh, I'm Jeff Lucas, your host, and we're talking about the case. We're going through the case of uh, Betty Lawson versus Thomas Weinmiller and Associates, a negligence case against a, a surveyor. All right, so what's what's negligence right before the break? What's negligence? The claim of surveyor liability is found on three elements common to any tort. Breach of a duty, causation of damages. How do you prove the breach of the duty? you got to bring in Kosler and Petskowitz, and they have to say, Juan Miller fell below the standard of care. But what did they say? Although neither expert is specifically upon that Thomas Juan Miller was negligent, for not discovering the overlap problem, they both indicated that a properly conducted survey would have uncovered the problem. What did the court say earlier? Just a mere difference of professional opinion does not establish professional negligence. They didn't do the job. They didn't, in essence, pull the proverbial trigger. They didn't take Juan Miller. The case is over. Now, here's a problem for Betty J. Uh, Lawson. Her attorney doesn't know the case is over. She appeared, 
she appeals the negligence case. She lost the, Betty loses the boundary dispute case and has to cough up all the cost. She then, because Cosver and Petskowitz pointed the finger at Weinmiller at the boundary dispute case, she turns around, sues Weinmiller for negligence, hires Petskowitz and Cosver to come in and be her experts, and they don't pull the trigger. I'm not saying they should have. If they if, if they're if they, if they don't truly believe that Juan Miller was negligent, they shouldn't pull the trigger. So why are you even? If the only thing you have to do as an expert is what you're supposed to do is pull the trigger. If you're not going to pull the trigger, then why are you even in court? I'll tell you why they're in court. Because they didn't do depositions in this case. They don't say, "Hey, we didn't do depositions in this case." They don't say that. But I know it. They didn't do depositions because if they had done depositions, they would have known what the Weinmillers are going to say next, which they don't know. And Petskowitz and Cosser, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, it would have been determined that Petskowitz and Cosser weren't going to pull the trigger. But the attorney for, uh, for Ms. Lawson doesn't know that they didn't pull the trigger. Who was her attorney? Well, I actually gave this uh, case in, in Ohio a few years back and uh, actually had a chance to talk to Mr. Cosler. And uh, who the, the attorney that Betty uh, Lawson hired uh, to do her trial was, uh, was a probate attorney, according to Cosler. Was a probate attorney. Had, had no reason whatsoever to be, uh, to be trying a negligence case against a professional practitioner okay so the case is over but let's keep going we got a few minutes here Coser testif- uh, <clears throat> testified that the minimum standards for surveying also requires surveyor to consult the deeds of the surrounding property so he's talking Coser testified that the minimum standards set uh, in Ohio were uh, these code sections that set up the minimum standards of care Coser testified that these uh, standards in the surveying profession also require a surveyor to consult the deeds of the surrounding properties as well as properties being surveyed for overlap closure problems. He further testified that it is a standard practice in the surveying community to notify the property owner when both overlap and closure problems are encountered and to recommend that an attorney be contacted to have any flaws in the deed resolved. Okay, sounds reasonable. Cosner and Pesquit agreed that the standards in the surveying profession dictate that a surveyor should not prepare a legal description of property that involves both overlap and closure problems. Further, Cosner opined that Thomas Juan Miller made a mistake. Didn't say he was negligent, said he made a mistake. In his survey by, quote, not informing his client of an overlap problem if he knew of the overlap. All right. Thomas and David Juan Miller agreed. Now they're on the stand. They agreed with Lawson's expert about the minimum uh, requirements in the code section identified by, uh, by uh, Cosper. Uh, Thomas and David Weinmiller testified that when conducting their survey of the Lawson's property, they adhered to the minimum requirements of the profession set forth in the administrative code. They both testified that they consulted all deeds, tax maps involving the Lawson's property and the deeds of all the surrounding properties when surveying the Lawson's property. They both identified that they 
based, uh, both testified that they based their survey on an analysis of all pertinent written documents and their field investigation of the property. Finally, they both testified that they made a thorough search for monuments marking the corners of the property and conferred with the Lawsons and Gedright when doing so. In 1985, the Wine Millers conducted a survey of the Lawson property, checked all the deeds, did the field work, and then conferred with both their client Lawson and Kedwright in 1985. And Kedwright even had Petskowitz come out after that. And still, what what did Wine Miller tell Kedwright? To keep him happy for eight years. Thomas and David Juan Miller agreed with Lawson's expert that it is not within the professional standards for a surveyor to provide a survey and description of property that involves both closure and overlap problems. However, they disagreed with Lawson's experts regarding whether an overlap problem actually existed between the Lawson's and the Gedwright's deed. David Juan Miller explained that because the Lawson's parcel of land was created and deeded before the Gedwright's parcel, Fundamental principles of surveying dictate that the Lawson's deed has superior rights. According to Wine Miller's testimony, the Lawson and the Gedright tracks came out of a common grantor. Lawson's deed was first out the senior deed, therefore, get right, basic construction of a junior-senior issue. You have a common grantor. The common grantor grants out the northern tract to Lawson and then grants the remaining property with a meets and bounds description that overlaps the senior. Basic rules of construction. You always read the junior deed in light of the senior because the common grantor could not convey that 15-foot strip out twice. In other words, the 15-foot strip, overlap strip, does not exist. Never has. Doesn't exist. Never has. So, how did Gedright win the boundary dispute case? Because nobody in that case knew anything about the fundamental principles of deed interpretation. Juan Miller didn't testify. He's testifying here, him and his son. They're both testifying. David explained that the Gedrights Jr. deed cannot overlap but must abut the Lawson's deed. Accordingly, he explained the Gedrights deed cannot rightfully claim to own what the Lawson's deed had previously claimed. The case was over a long time ago. Um, Wine Miller came in at the negligence trial. He wasn't there for the boundary dispute. Came in at the negligence trial and explained property 101 to the judge, the jury, and the parties, and the attorneys. 
Now, how hard would it be? Well, what if White Miller's lying? What if uh, this? This was this was what? Uh, what did? What was the charge uh, that they uh, that Lawson made in their arguments? Um, Thomas Juan Miller trial couldn't. The testimony of Thomas Juan Miller trial quote could not have been taken seriously by a reasonable jury. They didn't do that thing. They didn't know what either Thomas or David Juan Miller were going to say on the stand. It came as a complete surprise because they didn't do any depositions. How easy would if if there was not a junior senior issue here? How easy would that be to prove? All you would need to do is get a chain of title or an abstract of title on this on the property, the loss of property, and the get right property. Go back to a common grantor and and. They didn't do that in the boundary dispute case. They didn't do that in the boundary dispute case. Why didn't they do that in the boundary dispute case? Because, well, I have a couple of theories on that. One is, well, the surveyors, Petskowitz and Cosner, uh, didn't do the research uh, to find what Weinmiller found in 1985. Uh, they, they apparently didn't go back in the chain of title. Um, Petskowitz must in 1985, after Weinmiller came out on the scene, must have shown the overlap to Gedright. But you know, Gedright had already heard from uh, Thomas Weinmiller explaining the junior senior rights. I mean, he had to have done that, explain the junior senior rights issue, and that uh, Lawson's Weinmiller had uh, Lawson's deed had uh, superior title to the 15 foot strip than Gedright, but. Um, Ed Wright sat on that information for eight years and then finally sued Bartman and friends in the boundary dispute. Um, had Petskowitz come into the case to explain his survey and uh, the 15-foot, and then Kosler uh, came in and apparently agreed with Petskowitz, and Betty loses the 15 feet. She lost her 15 feet. She had to make, make Bartman and Friends whole uh, in the boundary dispute case. Then she turned around and sued Weinmiller uh, for negligence and only negligence and never proved the elements of negligence. Whose fault is that? Who's, who's, whose fault is that? What did Betty, what did Betty Lawson do, do wrong? What did Betty Lawson do wrong? It all started. It all started with an oral contract. She knew nothing about Weinmiller until the boundary dispute case, and then it just snowballed from there. Okay, folks, we're uh, we're about out of time here today. Um, there's more to this case. I'd love to go through it. I don't know. I, I'm going to try to get a. Um, I, I, I'm working on a, a guest for next week. We, we might come back to this case. There's a lot more to this case I wanted to go over, but uh, we're not going to do that today. Maybe we will next week if I don't get a guest. But until then, uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, uh, had a good time. And you guys uh, contact me with your questions and answers. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.